Hello, and welcome to the BNY Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Shannon. Joining me is the DM, Peter Gorski. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm happy to be here with you. And on the other microphone, it's the best gamer I know, Mark Gorski. How are you? I feel let down, Owen. It's no one here's fault, but I have been let down today by our community. Not the podcast community, but my local community. What has happened? My local community has said on the phone, no, we are not doing a midnight release for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth tonight. Oh, my like, God. If we're not doing a midnight release for Rebirth, I don't know what we're doing a midnight release for this year. I don't think we're doing those anymore. That just... Uh, we've we've had the topics before of like nostalgia for midnight releases, but beyond nostalgia, it's just undeniably a loss. Like, oh, how did we get here as a society where it's like, oh, all of these these things in life that you can go to and feel kinship with others, let's just get rid of them. Let's just get them out of here. We don't need them anymore. I imagine like these these happened in the first place for so like stores could like secure the pre-order and the purchase in store for people. But I wonder if GameStop's at a point where it's just like, well, we don't want to secure a normal purchase. We want to secure a used purchase. So some people will let them buy it, but we want people to sell them back to us. We get more money. And also like the staff cost of like having two people there so that just like 12 people can show up for a midnight release. Probably is not worth it. Yeah, but if you think about the the staff cost, you you probably make them either go home or clock out from nine until ten thirty or something because you're GameStop. And mm-hmm. then you're probably paying them let's be generous in New York State sixteen dollars an hour, maybe. Mm-hmm. I I think they should technically be able to eat the cost, but I don't know. I I personally would think that making people want to go into your store would be an important thing, but I guess not. It's just, it's a shame that a game as big as FF7 Remake, where you would go there and sure, there there would probably be people in the line that would take it a step too far that you might be like, okay, I, I don't want to explain to that person. Explain it. Give an example. I just think some level of rabid fanhood can make you uncomfortable. Well, I, well, unless you could give me a specific example, I think you just sound like a jerk. Maybe well, I have an example for tears of the kingdom. I was standing in line next to people who had already played it a week in advance. And they were talking about it. Well, that's annoying. Yeah, that was annoying. say that's that's just get the fuck out of here. Then they were they were talking about not like story specifics, but stuff that I, I I ultimately after having played it disagree with what those people were saying about the game. They were saying things about like like oh the dungeons they really revamped them this time. It's not like Breath of the Wild. I heard that and I was like, God, oh, geez, that's exciting, but I didn't want to know that. Fast forward to me playing Tears of the Kingdom. I'm like, no, I don't think they did that. I don't think they <laughs> did that at all, actually. I think it was kind of the same. I have these, like, collector's edition uh, Vans sneakers that are Spider-Man uh, themed. And when Spider-Man 2018 came out, 
I did not go to a midnight release, but when I went to GameStop, I was like, I'm going to wear the Spider-Man shoes. And the manager fucking made fun of me. What? <laughs> what did they was, say? It, it was just like, he came up to me and was like, wow, like you really came ready for the occasion. I was like, yeah. And I didn't really give him much, but it's like, dude, like you work at a GameStop, like the, you expect this kind of shit. And mm-hmm. my brothers have a similar uh, experience with the GameStop manager where when Pokemon X and Y came out, uh, they, they were both going to work the same thing, but on the way to work, their whole point or their whole thing with the 3DS was that they weren't going to get one until like a new Pokemon came out for it. Mm-hmm. So they went and they got the themed X and Y 3DS and you know at this point they're technically grown men like uh, i think they would have been like 24 and 21 maybe and the manager like made fun of them for like buying pokemon games and it's like dude like terrible your gamestop manager what are you doing i don't know oh, when do you remember when we went to see zootopia together and it was the same weekend as batman v superman came out and you were coming up with the popcorn, and I got towards tickets first, and the guy says, so that'll be two for Batman v. Superman, right? And I go, no, Zootopia, and he laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that until right now. I, I remember that very well, because then I just said nothing to him, and he's like, yeah, over there, and I just and I just kept walking. It, it It's also just like, great, buddy, you just showed me you have no fucking taste. Yeah, Thanks. I'm so- Z- uh, again, Zootopia uh, was such a better movie. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it in the end. We were right. We saw the much better movie. I haven't seen that movie since seeing it in theaters, and I have next to no memory of it. It's very good. I should it watch was, it again one day. Zootopia was pretty woke. There, there was a careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy in my high school class who I won't out right now. That was like weirdly obsessed with the with the bunny main character oh no (laughs) yeah no it it was it was odd for sure and you couldn't tell like are you doing a bit right now or like do you really believe what you're saying i don't know mark Mm -hmm. what video games have you been playing hmm well last week I kind of touched on a couple of things, but because I was only able to scratch the surface on some of them, I feel like I got to dig deeper into them. I got three games. Here we go. Three games I want to talk about. Do do you want to start talking about them? Do you want to start? Maybe I do. Maybe I do. Um, The first one I want to talk about is going to be the big one. Actually, maybe we start with the smaller ones. Um. The, I mentioned I've been playing a little bit of Bellatro, the poker roguelike game, um, and I beat it. I beat it on like my fifth run, and that was kind of disappointing, honestly. Like it's it's a good game, a really cool roguelike that's very reminiscent of Slay the Spire. A Slay the Spire, to those who maybe don't remember my top one hundred episode, that's a top twenty game or top twenty five game. Slay the Spire, super super good game. Set a precedent for card games and roguelikes for me. The second I played that game, I was like, okay, I'm I'm hooked. I can't stop playing this. Uh, and when I was playing Bellatro, ultimately, by the end of it, by the time I beat it, I was like, geez, I, 
I finished this in like four hours. So the Spire took me way more than four to five hours to actually beat it. Kind of left me a little bit, uh, a little disappointed, honestly. That's a that's Good. a ninety-one on Open Critic. You're talking about. It is. It's a very well-made game, but it doesn't have the depth as a lot of other. Okay, maybe maybe I was fortunate to beat it before a lot of other people had beaten it, but it. I think it was only like my sixth or seventh run, and that's all it took. And then the game lets you play again under like harder circumstances, but it's like I don't know. That's it's not the same. Where Slay the Spire, there's like different characters with completely different decks to try to play the game. It's like it's like playing like it is a very different character. Where Bellatro, there's different decks you can start with. Where one of them has the ability, oh, you get. Plus one max hand size, or this deck is only bad for you. You get no face cards, no kings, queens, or jacks uh, show up, which is like, okay, that's, I guess, a different play style, but like, that's not as interesting as the, the three or four characters in Slay the Spire. Maybe it's not fair to be comparing it so much to Slay the Spire, but uh, when when everyone's reviewing it so highly, right? When this is the talk of this game, this 91, 92 average game, and reviews are saying, like, oh, Slay the Spire. We're directly comparing it to that. And, like, I see the comparisons. It is very similar, but it's it's not on the same tier, unfortunately. So I, I had fun. was a little disappointed. I mean, I like it so much. A friend of mine was just like, you have to play this. And then she's just like, oh, I... I can't afford this right. I'm just like, I'm buying you this game. You have to talk about it. I have, you have to play this game. And she liked it. Uh, high quality game, but uh, did not reach my expectations. I had high expectations. Very good video game, though. Or could I interrupt you real quick? Uh-huh. Have you checked what a Splatoon 3 side order got on the league yet? Um, They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to fix it. I'm so happy. Well, they've solved it, and you have your points. Oh, is it low 80s? It's, uh, 78. Nah, okay, well. You got eight points. Well, let me go into that. The next game I've played, everybody, is Splatoon 3 Side Rider. Another roguelike, but one I didn't like as much is Bellatro, because... It's uh, it's it's not bad, Splatoon 3 Side Rider. It's more Splatoon, so at the end of the day, I'm happy for more single-player Splatoon content, but I can't help but think to myself, man, man, the Octo Expansion from 2 was, like, way better than this. This was pretty pretty short. Uh, it's a roguelike as well. There's the different Splatoon weapons. There's a bunch of different challenges and upgrades you get. You're trying to get to the top of this tower. Uh, each floor you go up, and there's 30 floors in it. Uh, each floor you get a little bit of an upgrade. Uh, some of them are very dependent on what weapons you do, and you get to the top, you can beat it, you, you finish the story, but ultimately, for 100% completion, you have to use each of the weapons that are available in the roguelike, and beat the roguelike with each of the weapon types. Beat it with one of them, the Octo Brush, my main. Once I got that, the, the rest of it kind of fell apart. Um, it's it's fun, but like I think when it comes to single player Splatoon, the platforming is like such a very fun part of it. Like getting to platform with the mechanics in Splatoon, I think is so much fun. Like a 
finding places uh the game presenting situations where it's like all about moving and swimming and inking things i think was a big part of the charm for it single player for its last dlc but this one is confined to these small areas there's like four or five enemies i think that might it might even be less than five it might just be four different enemies you fight throughout it um but even then it's still interesting enough that the encounters are still fun um it's a little bit monotonous after you're trying a run again like the objectives is like four or five different objectives um the problem here is just that i don't know this like when the conversation earlier was these first party games keep tagging a roguelike mode onto it and this doesn't feel like fully put together um i didn't so much feel that by the end of like god of war valhalla like i thought that was really really good splatoon 3 side order it does feel really feel kind of like that or it's just like oh well uh there's not as much depth to it where valhalla kind of really builds on its loops and like even when you beat it, it you have to beat it again to get more and more of it, and it adds more and more per run to really kind of give you stuff. Side order is just like there's like one tutorial run that I would be surprised if anyone ever lost to, and then it is the roguelike you unlock, and then once you beat that, you're technically done. It's it's a little brief where Splatoon 2 Octo Expansion had a couple dozen of just platforming levels. Uh, designed with some specific weapons in, uh, in mind, uh, but that kind of made it made each level kind of feel more unique. Was because like oh, you have to use these different weapons. They they are they have courses designed around the weapons that kind of made them really cool. Um, but no, it just it doesn't feel uh, as in depth here. It just feels like a gimmick to an extent. Um, not to say it isn't fun. I definitely had some fun with it because it's just more more of a time more of a reason to try to play a little bit of Splatoon, but it's only so much of it. Um I, I was definitely hoping for more. But That's disappointing. Yeah, it was a little disappointing. But you know it wasn't disappointing, guys. What? The song of life. AKA the subtitle for Yakuza Six. Oh. Like, that's, oh, you, you you technically mentioned this at the end of last episode of people didn't make it that far, but you can do a, a recap. I think you did anyway. I, I I didn't. I feel like I barely scratched the surface, guys. Like that's there's so much to talk about for Yakuza Six. <laughs> All right, I strap in. The last time I talked about it, I briefly I, I gave like the the summary of how I felt about it. The time before that, I kind of mentioned how. I wasn't really digging it. We were kind of jumping into it super, super quick. And now that it's all said and done, I I do not mind <laughs> those problems. Um, because it, it really was a very sweet conclusion to this portion of the games, the story here. Um, I, I think I mentioned before, I got a little teary eyed towards the end because they, they totally caught me off guard that they're, they're, they set up all all the dominoes for this one storyline. It's like this is this is about Kiryu. It's about a couple people very close to him and nobody else. 
And part of me was just bummed out a lot the whole like most of the game. I'm just thinking like this is the climax here. There's like other characters who have been a part of the story, but we're just gonna like throw them in prison and they're just not gonna be part of the story. I'm like, what's what's going on? But then there's just like one little thing they kind of throw at the end that just catches me off guard. Something I've been asking throughout like the entirety of my playthroughs. Like there's a there's like a dynamic between two characters we're just not addressing and I, I thought it was insane. I was just like, okay, this is going to be like probably my biggest opinion because the series is just ignoring one thing. And then they just decide to address it in the very sweetest way. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this, I, any problem I ever had with this, any concern I ever had. What a, what a, what a fulfilling moment to come this far through freaking, how many Yakuza games did I play this year? Three, four, five, six. Yeah, I played. I played four Yakuza games. All the four Yakuza games that I played this year, um, truly, truly, for, for that arc specifically, that this this moment kind of paid off. Did it um, leave off at a point where, like, you technically have a feeling of like Kiryu shouldn't be back? Like, I know that he is. It technically doesn't have to be. Is what it is. Like they. They wrapped up his story. It's more like uh, a ride into cool. the sunset, perhaps, instead of a anything officially declaratory. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much a off in the sunset. A, he he. Has, you don't have to spoil it for people. Yeah, he, he's he's <laughs> ba- basically finished at this point. I'm curious. Well, I mean, like I'm I'm at a point where it's just like okay, I, when I get to a man who erased his name. I, I feel like I I could play that game right now, and I could see how it picks up where it is from where six ends. I know for sure that like a dragon is required to play that game. I was considering playing them out of order and doing Man Who Erases Name, and then doing like a dragon into Infinite Wealth. But from some light reading online, it is highly unrecommended. Say, people say if you're going to play Man Who Erases Name, uh, you must play Yakuza 6. You must play Like a Dragon, or else things are not going to make sense, unfortunately. And I'm at a point right now, being like off of this huge Yakuza grind, all I'm thinking about is Like a Dragon. Like Rebirth, I'm going to be playing that tomorrow. I'm only thinking about Like a Dragon still, unfortunately. I'm still in the Yakuza mindset, even though on paper, I think feel like I should be burned out by now. I I just want to keep going. But this has just kind of been like where my mind is at. I I have experienced the year 2024 with Kiryu by my side for literally the whole year up until I finished Jack of the Six. And now he's gone and I'm I'm trying to like process that right now. I kind of miss him. I mean don't be afraid to follow your mood. I know obviously rebirth is a is a high priority new game, but I don't know. You're it you're like going into a new relationship, but you're still you're still thinking about the old one too much. Mm-hmm. Did you know that man who erased his name only had a limited physical release in Asia? It never released physically here. I believe I did know that. Because they they were one of the companies that has kind of jumped the gun on this don't make physical anymore thing. 
I, and I haven't looked into infinite wealth. I just assume that's going to be a physical game. That I believe is I believe that is physical. Yes, but okay. but they determined that man who erased his name was like a small side story, essentially that did not need one. Hmm. I I ordered it like a week and a half ago, and it still isn't here. So I'm kind of concerned. Is it? I, had, I mean, it's not like region locked, is it? No, like there. It. I don't think the. I don't think the PS5 should work that way. The only situation I had that problem with was uh, Life is Strange 2. But it was a very specific problem. It wasn't because I got a region lock. It was that the the physical disc you got of that game came with the first four episodes of the game. And you had to download the fifth episode. I had bought a European version of Life is Strange 2 physically. And because I had the European version, I had to download the fifth episode from the European PSN, not the US one. Uh, Either I would have to buy the game again digitally for the US store or find a way to access the European store, which I did end up finding a way for the European store uh, and was able to finish it. But that would be the only thing that could stop me, something like that, right? I have to access that store. But no, I there is a specific version of Man Who Erases Name. It just says on the front English version. Oh, okay. Which, which is very interesting. I, I don't know if it's a voice acted game or not in English, because I know like a Dragon Onward, they have just full on English voice acting, which I I don't think I will be able to stomach at, playing. At this point, I, I don't know how you could, especially with how used to all the Japanese voice actors you are. Mm-hmm. It's like, to my understanding, the cast of Like a Dragon is like completely different characters. Maybe when there's the occasional character you recognize, it would be weird. But I've, of course, I'm still going to do the Japanese uh, dub. Uh, yeah, that, again, I just don't even understand how you could possibly make that transition. Mm-hmm. I guess. The last thing to talk about Yakuza 6, there was one thing I was worried about playing the game, guys, that even when I was first talking about it, I didn't really lead on to this because I didn't want to believe it had happened. But I was worried I had been spoiled on Yakuza 6. And the more and more I was playing the game, I realized, yep, it's very clear one of the big twists has been spoiled to me. And I was very, very sad about that. All all in the grand scheme of, because I was trying to look up stuff on how people felt about Yakuza 5. And then I saw people casually mention just like, uh, like, just if if X Y which if whichever Yakuza game is your favorite, and then someone mentions six, people are just like this is no one's favorite. But I will say this character was the best villain in the series, and I was just like, nope, nope, I didn't see that. I didn't want to look at that. I recognized the face. And I was like, oh, how how could this person be the villain? Which it was they were wrong like I, ultimately it was just a joke that this content creator was making but seeing this guy's face and knowing that he's going to be somewhat important gave away a big twist to the game and at once I, I saw that this person was like uh, i had reason to believe this character was like more important than they were giving out i was like oh well if they're not the villain they're at least going to be they're going to be the answer to one of the game's biggest questions early on. And I was right about that. And then they were. And then I was worried, like, oh, God, is this person going to be the villain? Do I know this? And it wasn't It wasn't right. That much was a, kind of a, a relief. Because 
these these games, the Yakuza games, are all about the hanging threads and the mystery of what's going on, who's doing what, uh, and juggling all these different people. Playing this game while possibly knowing the game's biggest mystery at the time was kind of sucking the fun out of it. But thank God there was still a lot of game left and still more mysteries left for the game after that. So pat myself on the back concerning there. But um, Yakuza 6, not my favorite Yakuza game. Not my second favorite. I want to say it's maybe my third or fourth favorite, though. If I had to put it somewhere. Yakuza 5, still at number one. Then I got Yakuza 0 at number two. And then I want to put... Uh, I went for Kiwami 2. Then I think my fourth favorite is going to be Yakuza 6. And then I'm going to put Kiwami 1, which I didn't say 4 yet. Shoot. I mean, I don't know if I like 4 or 6 more. Depends. I'd have to think about it a little bit more. But then Kiwami 1 and Yakuza 3 in its tier of its own, the worst one by a mile. We'll see. We'll see how this journey keeps going. But. Pretty pretty satisfied. I got I got teary eyed by the end. That's all I could ask for from Yakuza Six. All right. Well, I'm I'm hoping that you manage to continue this journey throughout the year, but we'll see as uh as the year shapes up for you. I am going to go next because Peter, I'll I'll address the one game that we have in common at the end. Then we can we can double team that one. Uh, my what I've been playing is not terribly changed i won't spend too much time on it um i've still been playing xenoblade however this was a bit of a burnout week for me i'm not gonna hit the end of february not like full-on burnout on the game but it was it was the type of week where it's like man i put like over 20 hours into this last week so i put more like three hours into it this week i'm still loving it i am realizing one thing about myself that is not the game's fault. I think I've kind of known this for a while and I've, I've just ignored it to some extent, but I have a shorter and shorter tolerance for long cut scenes in gaming. Now I've really gotten to be one of the people that, that wants to just get back into the game and Xenoblade has some long cut scenes. I, I have to catch myself sometimes sort of spacing out on them. Um, I do and I don't wish I was this way because I, in general, I wish that a lot more games, uh, would at least lean on cutscenes a little bit less if they could. I'm not full on anti cutscene. Um, but there, there used to be a time where, you know, I'd, I'd play Metal Gear Solid 4 and it's like, man, I wish this cutscene was two hours long. Um, I, those days are long past though. I'm not that way anymore. But when I get into the gameplay of Xenoblade, still loving it, making progress on on Mechanus now. Uh, the other game I've been playing that I don't have too much to say, but I I really just want Peter to know that I've been playing this because I feel like he he calls me out on this series a lot. Hmm. As a palate cleansing game, I've been playing hitman freelancer and it's just as good as can be i love this hitman series and i want i want it to be more of an instinctual comfort game for me instead of the typical 
play Madden or something that's just easy to boot up. Hitman Freelancer, pretty easy to boot up as well. So I've been doing that lately. It's been great. And Peter, fuck you. The last game that I wasn't going to cave on, but then uh, a friend uh, helped me do this, and I'll, I'll repay him one day. Uh, I ended up getting Helldivers 2. And Peter, we've both played this game. We've been talking about how much we've wanted to play this game. We were feeling the FOMO. Very much so. How How is it living up to expectations for you? Uh, very much so. I'm having a goddamn blast with this game. I'm having so much fun. The FOMO was real. I understand fully what we were missing out on. And I could very likely end up, depending on whenever we finish this episode, probably playing some more whenever we get off. I have a similar feeling. You've played more than me. I don't know how much more. I've only played about... I wanted to make it four hours today, but uh, I've only played about three hours. Uh, I played one session with you and some other friends, and then I did do a session of just solo matchmaking, which was also very fun. I have really only scratched the surface of this game, but I think I can just sense it striking the perfect balance of there's enough in this game to keep me engaged on a gameplay level while also not being mentally too demanding. So like if I play alone, it's a perfect podcast game. If I play with friends, it's the perfect we can shoot the shit, but also still know what's going on in the game. I feel like that's like the best balance you can strike in a game like this. And I, I really, I was kind of having the the thought the other day that I don't, this is a bold claim to say such early on, but I feel like we can kind of get like a long time out of this. Um, our group of friends is just kind of being the go-to game. We haven't had a go-to game for a long time. There's been random ones that, that come in and out of, I know some of our friends play apex. We've, we've tried lethal company. This seems to be one that it's like, it's very easy for everyone to jump onto. It's very easy for everyone to get into the swing, the swing of things could maybe be our next war zone. Who knows? I think, I mean, this is a game we, I could have seen us playing in high school. And that was when we were like, that's, it's a, it is a relentless co-op experience. It is unforgivingly a 360 PS3 co-op experience. It feels like the comparison for it, and it's not one-to-one by any means, but it feels like the comparison is left for dead. We've had all these games that try to mimic left for dead that have not been able to hit the feeling of it and this is one that doesn't mimic left for dead but it does hit the feeling if that makes sense no i would agree i mean how many times have we gone on here on this podcast over the years and talked about all these reasons that we enjoyed a game whether it be like oh the narrative is fantastic the acting is great the visuals are incredible the game's performance is fantastic this game is just 
go have some stupid fun with your friends. Or even, again, if you can play solo with strangers and it's still really fun, it's just go into a mission, shoot up monsters and robots, and do it in the name of democracy. This game has a fantastic physics engine and a great ragdoll physics, I will say that. But just, this game is just, this game is so funny without trying to be at times. Things and can go wrong. Go ahead. I was going to say, and the times that it tries to be funny, like it's pretty it funny for the most yes, part. It is. Most of the funny aspects of this game just happen naturally, and that's another compliment to the game. But when the game actually does try to be humorous, it's actually quite fucking funny. And what else is great, Owen? Not political, even a little bit. This not, game is just a straight bit. shooter. Not a single ounce of political in this game's DNA. It's it's. I can't think of a better game to own the lips with, to be quite yes. honest. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, this, I'm so happy that this, I mean, I was happy about this game's success a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it. I'm even happier now, considering the fact that it's still doing really well. It's not really going away so far. And it's, and, I, and now I'm a part of it. And now I'm a part of the fun. And now I, and now I understand why everyone's having so much fun. I love how much of the narrative of the game is created by the fans. Like, everything you see on TikTok of Malevolent Creek, whether you hold it or lose it, you're starting to see the developers now lead into it and start acting like that's a big deal. But that's because the fan base latched onto it first. Like, I like seeing... It's a rare moment you see, like, the developers are just sitting back with the fans and saying, we will let you decide what aspects of the narrative we will, like, we will lean on and we will focus on. And you never see that. I think it would even be cool and I sure I'm sure they have plans to do stuff like this in the way that you're you're fighting the war to save Earth. I heard people say that to their memory it was the same sort of thing in Helldivers One, and if if you ever got to the point of saving Earth, like they just kind of reset the counter. I would like if they avoid that and have different times of like the robots are on a heavy offensive and they're fucking kicking ass right now. You got to get back into the game and, and help save super earth. Like if, if they, if they tilt the scales when they need to, I think that could make for a pretty fun dynamic. Um, the other thing I'm really looking forward to that I haven't really been able to experience yet. I don't know if you guys have had any sessions like this yet where like we really go for for difficult ones like you you me and james are playing the other night on medium and even that was fairly difficult especially against the robots but once i feel like i'm prepared to start getting into some of the more challenging difficulties i think i think it will be hard but i think it'll be a lot of fun to especially do together i did okay i i thought I didn't realize that that was going to be thrown back at me. I thought that was the end of your statement. Yeah, it was the end of my statement, but you know, it's a conversation. I I assumed you would continue talking about the game. I I have a, you could have you could have given me a layup or something. No, that was a I, I, here's here's where you you both go wrong. Let's air the dirty laundry. I can't end every fucking sentence I say with a question for one of you two. I can't do it. 
Here is where I will I will not come and say anything for him. Here is where I will come in. You know my thoughts on the what we've been playing. You know my thoughts. Even when I like the games, you know my thoughts on them. I like to think that with Helldivers 2, I have been saying a lot that I usually don't say about these about, you know, what we've been playing. So I like to think I've done hey, enough. Peter, Peter, you can listen to what I'm saying. And literally, I said I don't know if uh, you and our friends have had the opportunity to do more challenging missions, but that's something I'm looking forward to. You could have responded and let me know whether you guys have done more challenging missions or not. I mean, I could have. That, like, that's how conversation. We, we haven't though. We haven't though. Then you could have just said that. But did I really have to say that? Did I really have to? Yes, because we have microphones in front of us right now. But it's like, I would have been like, oh, actually, we've just done medium. And then you would have been like, cool. That's really cool. I'm happy for you guys. Well, and and that, I uh, that hope w- I get to do the same. Anyway, the first piece of news. Exactly. It would have been seamless. I, <laughs> and instead, and we're arguing about how to have conversation right now. I wouldn't say this is an argument. I would say this is a friendly debate. And I, what I'm saying is. We could have just done the transition uh, two minutes ago, but instead you had to get the soapbox. You'd be like, me, 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 me. No, I, I'm not here to read your mind. We were still actively talking about it. Mark, back me up. I am going to be on Owen's side here, Peter. We're, we're just trying to talk about Helldivers, a game I have not played. But a We game are I not. Have. You are not talking Helldivers. Yeah, you, know, you guys were in the middle of it. I got stuff to say about Helldivers. Mark, have you been playing? Yeah, no. yeah. Are, are you are you ever going to to come I've, and defend Earth? I've I've had a lot of FOMO for defending Earth, honestly, and I've had a hot take about Hell Divers while all this has been happening. What's Should we shave take? it for the topic? I don't think it's really relevant. It's a weird one. I feel like Hell Divers Two would not be as popular. If the soldiers didn't have capes; it wouldn't have popped off. What? I think the capes really help. That's so <laughs> that is a hot take, but you're there's at least a small part of it that's correct. The capes what? are cool. They sure, are, but cool. like, what the fuck are we talking about here? That it, it would still be as popular if the soldiers had a different design. I I agree. It would still be as popular, but the capes are cool. I I like that Mark has has honed in on this one aspect and. While he's ultimately misguided in thinking that the game wouldn't be popular without them, it definitely adds to it. I like the cape mm-hmm. quite a bit. I think it would be very different where it's just like, oh, we're just running around as like these space marines. Where it's like, oh, these space marines have capes now. And then they, they're diving around, jumping around at the physics of the cape, like really make it look that much more dynamic when everyone's getting blown all over the place. I think the cape's doing some heavy lifting there. To make the game look just as fun as it is. I'm not but. sure how heavy it is, but it's it's a subtle way of adding a a very nice little touch to it. It, it makes what is already a good physics system, it, it makes it a little bit more satisfying. Do you have any other hot takes relating to this? Not any hot takes, but like I've I've got some big FOMO for Helldivers. Everyone, I almost say like not to no exaggeration. Almost everyone I work with has been playing Helldivers too, Damn. and is 
all that they are talking about. They are all playing together. And they've asked me, do you have it? And to that, I just... <laughs> I look at my Splatoon 3 side article. This is happening and being like, no, I'm not playing Helldivers. I'm playing this fucking game. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll get into this more with the main topic tonight, but the CEO of Arrowhead did indicate on Twitter that they've sold about 3 million copies. Insane. Just absolutely insane. We can get into the news though. Now, Peter, thank you for, for aiding in, in this wonderful conversation that was seamless and flowing the whole time. The first bit of news is par for the course with what we've been dealing with playstation joins the layoff club this is based on multiple stories from vgc this is kind of a mouthful so i'll go through all of it playstation has added their own numbers to the layoff pool by letting go of approximately 900 employees while the layoff situation continues to be unfortunate herman holst had fairly open messaging to go along with these layoffs here are two of the most interesting quotes from him pertaining to the types of games they make. Hulse said, delivering the immersive narrative-driven stories that PlayStation Studios is known for at the quality bar that we aspire to requires a re- a reevaluation of how we operate. And he also added, delivering and sustaining social online experiences allowing PlayStation gamers to explore our worlds in different ways as well as launching games on additional devices such as PC and mobile requires a different approach and different resources. The most notable studio affected in all of this is PlayStation's London studio, who will officially be closing its doors. London studio primarily known for the SingStar series of games, but they have fairly well-known outliers such as the getaway on PS2 and blood and truth on PSVR. All of that comes via Andy Robinson at VGC and then follow-up reports from Tom Ivan at VGC include that Gorilla has cut approximately 10% of their workforce. Staff cuts have also hit Naughty Dog, Insomniac, and Fire Sprite, but to the extent of those is unclear at this time. Of the games canceled that have been acknowledged, uh, London Studios planned co-op game has disintegrated along with the studio and most notably the Twisted Metal reboot game we've been hearing about for years has reportedly been canned. Peter, you have some takeaways on all this. And I want you to kind of set the tone for the conversation about PlayStation playoffs. So ever- I said this to these two before we got on, and I was talking, I said this a few days ago in the BNY, or BNY group chat, and I just, I'm starting to get this almost like paranoid feeling of, man, we're really talking about Nintendo, PlayStation, and Xbox a lot. Are we talking about them too much? I don't know. It's something I keep asking myself. But how can we not talk about them when week after week after week, one of them is just making massive, massive news that changes the industry as we knew it, and this week is no exception. Xbox had been the problem child the last month or so. Now it's PlayStation's turn. Let's 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 look at the last last couple months. Last of Us multiplayer game canceled. Twisted Metal live service game canceled. The London Studios multiplayer project canceled. 
But Helldivers 2 does well. So we have one success in the live action, uh, live action, live service games as a service PlayStation world, where while they've canceled three other projects, Fair Games and Concord, who knows if they come out, who knows how, how, if they're even good if they come out. And Herman did say that there were multiple games that were canceled. So I don't know if the London Studios game and Twisted Metal were the only ones. There very well could be more. This live service push was Jim Ryan's idea. And he leaves in three weeks. Uh, One thing I wonder to cut in is like, does he really leave in three weeks or has he just been, has he been gone? (laughs) I mean, he stopped by London Studios last week. That's so if crazy, he's gone, yeah. yeah, if he's gone and he took a picture with them, you can find it on their Twitter. It's one of their last tweets of just celebrating the gym stopped by. And it doesn't seem like he told them the news. So that's great of him. So all of this is to say, we don't know when the next first party single player game is coming out. We don't even know what it is other than Death Stranding 2. We do know that, but it's made by an outside party. And we don't even know how many live service games from Jim Ryan's initiative that are even going to be coming out at this point. So the question I ask to you two is, uh, where the... F- and obviously the layoffs are terrible, and we will talk about the layoffs more, but I want to start with the pl- with PlayStation itself. My question to you two is, uh, where the fuck are we going on this PlayStation train? What's in the future? If all these live service games are canceled, and we, d- we don't know, and like we... Death Stranding 2 is the only single-player game that we know of. Oh, and that comes out sometime next year. We have no idea what the next first-party PlayStation game we will get and when we will get it. We don't know. We don't know if more of these live service games are going to be canceled. I don't know why we think most of them would even come out at this point, considering it seems like PlayStation's already realizing, oh, fuck, this was a massive mistake. And yes, if one is a Fortnite, if one does come out and it's this massive success, then it was all worth it. But the odds of that are happening are slim to none. And even though Helldivers 2 has been a great success, it's not nearly enough of what PlayStation needs and other live service initiative. So I want there to be a PlayStation showcase in the next month or so that just lays out what the next couple years of PlayStation are even going to be. And clearly, the six to seven year development cycle, as we talked about last week, is even more of a problematic state because we can't wait six to seven years. In this games industry, there are games that become, for all intents and purposes, oh, I, the, the crash that Owen and I have, talk, have been talking about for years, it, to me, we're in it now. I don't care. We are in it now. You cannot convince me that we're not. There needs to be more Uncharted Lost Legacies and Miles Morales being made. These smaller first-party experiences, more, obviously, Miles and Uncharted Lost Legacy aren't, like, aren't double-A games, but there needs to be more double-A games. But I don't know if they're going to be double-A games until they tell us where the fuck we're going. Owen, where are we where are we going? Where's PlayStation headed? What is the future of PlayStation? We talked about this last week, and now even more than ever, we need to know where the fuck are we going. So two follow-up news items before I give my full opinion that I I didn't put in the show notes, but uh I did see one of them I think broke today, and the other one was from last week with the Hiroki Totoki financial report where they acknowledge that no big franchise games are expected until about April of 2025. So that doesn't mean no games from PlayStation, but it probably means none of the ones that that we would be anticipating. So there's that. 
there's also this report coming out today that Neil Druckmann is just openly saying like he doesn't know how many more games he has left in him. Specifically long games, he said. He made a point to say long games. Specifically long games, which that would likely imply that he leaves Naughty Dog. Most likely. And then who knows where he goes from there. He can he can go to TV. He could he could go higher up in PlayStation. I don't care. Um but putting putting that out there to the media is like not an accident. Like I think he's probably trying to say that he probably has one left in him, maximum two. So that's notable for the future of PlayStation, one of one of your major creatives putting that out there. And when it comes to the direction of where I think they're going, I don't think that can be said yet because I think they're really at a crossroads right now where they have a few different facts in front of them. One is that the live service economy does not appear to be in their favor. The other is that the blockbuster AAA space, they are bordering on spending just as much, if not more than they make on those games. And then they have these two roads in front of them that I would lay out as one side is double down on the safe games that they think will do well based on the fact that they did well on PlayStation four. So continue the sequels. You would maybe add in some of the smaller versions of the sequels, like the miles Morales and uncharted lost legacy. And then on the other side, I don't think at least I hope they don't look at Helldivers two and exclusively think that it's the live service route. The other side is clearly gamers want something new and different and we should explore finding what those new and different things are. I'm inclined to think they'll probably take the safe road, but at the very least we have this huge success in Helldivers two that can be like, Hey, look over here. Like this is an option. You can try different things. So I don't think you can directly see, say where they're going right now. But I don't know, Mark, maybe you have a different take. Um, it's tricky because I don't think I, I don't think anyone would have expected the first PlayStation service game to kind of come out here to actually be a, a, a banger like Helldivers. I, I don't know if I would like to think behind the scenes they understand just like this isn't going to be every single one. We understand these service games. It's hard to really contend out there. And Helldivers, for all we know, it's only been less than a month what does this game look like in a year they've got to really make sure they support this game and make sure it sticks around not like a pal world where 84 percent of the people who who bought that game are not playing that game anymore um will this game just be a moment in time or is it here to stay uh they need to figure out how they're going to support that i think that will really be a very uh Good sign to see how PlayStation wants to try supporting them because it seems like the studio, I forget the name, Arrowhead, right? They do yep. Helldivers? Yes. Uh, it seems like Arrowhead, once the success happened, they threw out their roadmap from being like, okay, we're we're just 
doubling down on this. We have to keep up the momentum. That's how you support a game like this. It, it just has to keep going. We have to show the player base that this wasn't just a fun game to play for a couple of weeks, but Helldivers is much more than that, and it can be much more than that. Um, and how PlayStation responds to that will maybe inform us on how they do things later on here. Uh, do they truly need 20 service games that they've put together, like two or three that are super, super successful? Maybe not. Um, I think they will try to do as many as they can, unfortunately, um, because their games are already so expensive to make. They just want to plug in these service games to help these huge losses just not seem as huge because they've got these to rely on the same way that Square Enix, no matter what happens, they can release a Forspoken, they can release an Avengers because they can look back at Final Fantasy 14 and be like, oh yes, the the safety cushion, the the holy 14 money. Um, I think PlayStation just really, really wants to have that. They might have one right here, which will be very, very good for them. So maybe, maybe they'll calm down a bit. But as as far as like these crazy layoffs and shutdowns, it's like it's it's hard to say. If this is just a result of them pumping all this into their service game stuff, or this is just a state of the industry because it's it's hard to just point fingers and be like look what sony's been doing to cause this when it's really just like well this has literally happened to every publisher at this point where yeah. this is happening i uh peter before it comes back to you here i want to echo mark what you just said of the fact that unfortunately the the layoffs for every single company are becoming less and less of any point of insight where I guess it really does just indicate like they overhired or every single company is just finding themselves below the line of what they arbitrarily set. I don't know. I wish it wasn't happening obviously, but um, it's not necessarily because of their live service push that, that people are getting laid off. Uh, I'm not sure how connected the two things are, but Peter, after what me and Mark said, well, what are you thinking at this point of where they're going? Truthfully, at this time, I think they're going to be discussing that over the next month. Once Jim, once Jim Ryan leaves, that's what I think we will learn where PlayStation is actually going. Because I don't think like we're not we're not going to get a big PlayStation showcase. We're not going to be getting a twenty-five minute podcast in Herman Holtz's garage talking about what's happening next. Like we're not that they're not gonna do what Xbox did. They're more secretive than and, that. And please fucking spare us. Yeah. We don't need it. We unless you're going to actually give us like a you know, behind closed doors a real talk. And not just going at PlayStation. We think our number one focus is the gamers. No bullshit like that, please. To go off of one of Herman's quotes here, where he's talking about the online experiences, it includes the quote, allowing PlayStation gamers to explore our worlds in different ways. It's like that means that means nothing, Herman. That yeah, means nothing. Uh, I, I am so sick of the like PR speak of like, as game creators, we're creating worlds for people to explore. It's like, ugh, get out, get your head out of your ass. Just talk like a normal person. I think we have to. 
I think we have to go back to a get to a time where it's just hey, we're not going to be putting out this 30-hour game that cost a hundred million dollars to make. Well, that we would be going- cheap at this point for the well, record. That would be cheap. <laughs> I believe, I do believe that we're going to start getting, well, I, I don't even know. Because like, Last of Us Part 3 is not going to be a smaller game. The next Horizon is not going to be a smaller game. Is Cory Barlog's next game, like Santa Stoney Santa Monica's next project, is that going to be a smaller game? I like I don't know. Like I I can't see how some of these studios could set the expectations that they have and then all of a sudden be like I know you know us for these massive cinematic experiences, but now here's this much smaller product. But also, then you look at studio like the fact that London Studios is gone. I don't think any of us are shocked by that. I I feel like they're one of the most likely, if not them, it would be have been Bend or Media Molecule. So London Studio, we have a studio shut down. And then another shocking aspect of it is that teams that had to lay off. Now, Fire Sprite and the fact that the Twisted Metal was canceled, I can understand that. If they no longer have a team working on the game, they don't need to employ those people. The fact that the only other... T- well, that Naughty Dog and Insomniac had to lay off a lot of people. Insomniac has con- consistently putting out games that have sold well, and even, like, they have to fire people? Like. That that's one thing that scares me a lot is that like it's the big dogs who are hurting right now. Naughty uh, Naughty Dog, I can also understand in that they were working on the Last of Us multiplayer project longer anymore. If it's the people, who, if it's a team that was working on that game who were laid off, that I can understand. But my answer as to where we're going, honestly, I don't fucking know. And I kept trying to skirt around that because I feel like that's a lazy answer, and I want to have like I have like, but that's what I keep thinking is. If we just put out, here's Horizon 3 and it's bigger. Here's Last of Us Part 3 and it's bigger. I just feel like we're running into the same problems that we're in right now. And we're not actually, they're not fixing anything. They're not, they're not, they're putting a band-aid over a bullet hole in that. If they keep putting more and more money at these big games and they get less and less profit back, what's the point of continuing down this road? Something drastic has changed, but I don't know where you go. You can't just be like, we're going to go back to our roots. And I'm as happy as I would be with this. They can't just go like, here's Sly Cooper 5, and I will be like, yeah! But most people will be like, what the fuck is this? Why are we doing this? I don't know where they go. Like, I'm not saying like everyone should be terrified. Everyone should be scared. It's not. It's not that bad. I'm just... I don't know. I do not know there with what you're saying of like, okay, horizon three will come out and be bigger and last of us part three will come out and be bigger and it just costs more money. Uh, and they just find themselves in more of a, more of a hole. I think one thing that Totoki was touching on last week, uh, talking about, when he specifically called out Bungie and the other creatives at the at the top of each studio, not quite understanding the business sense. I I think one thing that really points to this is the fact that Spider-Man 2, I'm reading here, had a budget of $315 million. And this comes from the Insomniac League. I'm trying to find the number for 2018 i'm not sure if this is confirmed 
right now, but what I'm reading here is that Spider-Man 2018 costs 90 million to develop. Is Spider-Man 2 like almost 200 million dollars over 200 million dollars better than Spider-Man 2018? Do you think so, Peter? Well, okay, now everyone has to remember I thought Spider-Man 2018 was okay and I loved Spider-Man 2. So like but but I, I, I feel like you, I can't I can't put that down saying it's two hundred million dollars better. That was a that would be a preposterous statement for me to make. I cannot say that. Yeah, because uh, and also largely, as far as I understand your liking of Spider Man two, it was it was largely based on that you liked a lot of their story decisions. Yes, I liked a lot of their story decisions and I really liked Craven and Venom. I think Spider Man two plays great, it plays better than twenty eighteen, clearly. But I, I don't I don't know if it plays two hundred and twenty five million dollars better than twenty eighteen. I, I think I could probably play twenty eighteen on PS4 and walk away with thinking like, oh, it was slower than I remember <laughs> instead of anything too drastic. Clearly that can't happen. How can a jump that large happen uh with as little difference as possible? Um, so I think they're definitely going to at least attempt to lean on cleaning up some situations like that. And I would like there's their cleanup to not be layoff workers for it, but instead it should probably be just a better grasp on, on producers and, and getting things done in timely manner. I really think the solution for them going forward is it's probably almost too late to find an identity for the PS five, but they need a new, another step in their gaming identity where in PlayStation two, it was the platformers PlayStation three was kind of another period where, where they were less certain on their identity. And then they came into PlayStation four and third person cinematic became the identity. It still is currently, and the route that they're going down is showing that it's not going to be sustainable. I do think we should also point out how Herman specifically said that with all of their online experiences, uh, they're launching games on additional devices such as PC and mobile. PC day and day, and I think is something they have to adopt. I want to say that right now. I think they have to start going day and day with PNC, and Helldivers 2 is a great example as to why. With specifically live service, are you saying? Definitely live service. Maybe with single player? Like, I... I just think, and Xbox is seeing the same way, I just, I'm starting to... I'm not there yet, but I'm starting to buy into the idea of the old way is dead. Cross release day one with PC and with PS5 with single player to make more money because you have to. Mark, you were trying to chime in with something there. I, I was going to say the service games going on PC. Absolutely. But the first party stuff, I think, stays on there because they do still sell these PlayStations at a loss. They want to try to make people be like, hey, you. You got to get right. PlayStation, though. We got, especially because I imagine a lot of money, a lot, a lot, a lot of money of PlayStation is made on the PlayStation Store, and they're not at like a loss in the console market. They are the platform other than the Switch right now. So 
I think they definitely want to make sure they establish that at launch. Like, I could totally see where it's not even just like a year after for these releases. I, I could see it being like, okay, three to four years into the console. Now that we've kind of had a couple of games there, and then we start releasing it because they really want to get that momentum for the install base of these consoles to make people wait a little bit. Like, they can bring them over just to double dip a little bit just to get some of their expenses back. But I think it is primarily still just like, hey, we need to justify selling this box and put it in as many living rooms and keep it that way because they've got such a lead in this market. They don't want to uh, let that slip by any means. So they kind of keep the grip that they have on it by doing what they've been doing because it's just it's just flat out working right now, which is really my answer to the big question of like what happens next. It's like PlayStation does not have to do anything differently right now. They want to try to add things to their portfolio, such as things like a Helldiver do but as it stands they uh they don't have to do anything too differently they just gotta they just gotta figure out how to pay for everything that they're doing sustainably i feel like that's kind of what well mark you make it sound a lot easier said than done and i am it's like it's it's a big problem to have but the only thing that's going to stop them is themselves and just any misfires along the way but i feel like that is just the trajectory right now they're going to keep doing the thing they've been trying to do because no one is going to stop them from doing this. And the only like downside right now is that they have to try something else. It's not just like, oh, someone's going to eat their lunch right now. It's just like, no, they don't have that big competitor anymore. So there's not so much of the pressure there. The pressure is just uh, how much money is in our wallet right now. And that's it. I want to agree with the fact that I don't think the single player games should be going day and date to pc because especially when we're talking about all the xbox stuff there's this feeling of oh well pc gamers are too they're too bought into their platform they're not even considering getting the console but for playstation i don't think that's entirely true i do think there is some level of the pc gamer who mostly mostly plays on PC at their desk, but you know, they have the PS five for their TV when they decide they want to play a big single player game on a TV. I mean, uh, even James is one of those people. He's a PC gamer who, who bought into the PS five as well. I think a lot of those people existed. You don't want to, you don't want to risk getting rid of them and no one, no one's complaining about the fact that, something like Helldivers 2 came to PC day and date, not only because of the fact that it's live service, but Helldivers 2 is very much a PC style game. We don't see these type of like horde shooters. I don't feel like anyways, as much in the console space. Whereas uh, game games like, like Helldivers 2, I've seen in the past become fairly popular on PC. I get, but what I would raise to you, and again, I'm not like, I said I'm starting to buy into this idea. I'm not there yet. I still see more holes in it than, you know, uh, there's still more constant pros. But if PlayStation isn't going to back down from these absurdly huge budgeted games that make less money, what's the alternative then? Like, what's the plan? 
if we're gonna if we're just gonna continue our like like you said they've abandoned the idea of the ps5 having its own identity and we're just gonna continue it being ps4 part 2 and just making more ps4 type games that have bigger budgets then what do we do to accommodate the fact that we're spending more money to make these games and seeing less profit every time i i have kind of a what will sound like a dickheaded response, but I feel like it's their only solution is I think these studios have to come up with some new and better ideas. That is brilliant. Well, uh, but that that's what it comes down to. They're in a creative industry. And if the idea is we can keep making the same thing over and over again, but as long as we make it bigger and better, then people will be okay with it. That is a strategy. And it's Would seemingly people even accept a double A from Naughty Dog these days, though? I don't think it has to be double A, though. It just can't be $400 million triple A. Um, you know, invest in something more stylized instead of having to create photorealism. Uh, I, I feel like that's where most of the money is going is just obsessing over every little detail of an environment, whereas... I I think the most interesting game to find out what the budget looks like would maybe be Ghost of Tsushima, which is still, you know, it's human characters and everything, but it's a more stylized game. You even notice it sometimes in like facial animations that it's not it's not Naughty Dog level by any means. Yet it doesn't matter that it's not Naughty Dog level. Maybe that is another game that just has an inflated budget like the rest of the PlayStation crop, but I'd be interested to see if they if they manage to make that one at a little more of a reasonable price because they they invested in an aesthetic to some extent. And nothing is stopping these other studios from doing that. At least I don't think anything is stopping them. Do we have any final thoughts on PlayStation or can I take us into the next news story? I think you can, can I think you can move on. I think so too. Alrighty. We can continue the trend because EA has cut 5% of its workforce, Whoa! 670 people. Their statement for the future is that uh, they want to shift away from licensed IPs. This is via gamesindustry.biz. We have another one joining the layoffs club. The only notable point is the fact that EA CEO Andrew Wilson said that they are, quote, moving away from development of future licensed IP that we do not believe will be successful in our changing industry. It's clear. It's unclear and vague what this statement means. Maybe they're trying to get out of the Disney licensing game. I know. Uh, they have a Black Panther game, or it's like the Black Panther and and Captain America game, right? Isn't that like no, a combo? No, no, Peter? no, that's someone else. They're they're doing just a third person action adventure Black Panther game. Okay, I believe EA Motive has either a Marvel or a, a Star Wars. Someone has an Iron Man game, and I think there's another Star Wars game. Respawn under. was making uh, was working in a Star Wars game, but the Star Wars game was also canceled. I saw a tweet on this. Let me get the exact. So Cliffhanger's game, Cliffhanger Games, is built to develop a Black Panther game. This is via Shinobi on Twitter. 
Motive is making an Iron Man game and Respawn continues working on Star Wars because they're the Jedi series. Mark, I want to start with you. Do, do you read into this IP statement at all? Do you think they're they're going to get out of uh, the Disney licensing game? I think it's crazy that that's what they want to do. Like, what has EA put out in the past like five years that isn't Star Wars, Madden, uh, or Apex Legends? I guess like what notable game that okay? I guess Dead Dead Space remake comes to mind, but it's a remake of something they kind of struggled with a long time ago. But other than that, nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. I'm sure there's something that I wouldn't be able to forget uh, that I'm just not remembering. But that Wild Hearts game last year, I think, did bad. It did so bad. Something. Immortals of Avium did bad. They did. They did also say in the story that I did not include that they were going to double down on sports as well, which will obviously be a, a smart investment for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I th- I think it's kind of crazy that they're just like, hey, we kind of got the Disney and Star Wars license to work with, like two of the most valuable licenses possible, and we're just going to say goodbye to these. It's it's uh, it's either just along the lines of like. We don't have faith in our studios to make something great, and it just kind of like tarnishes our brand because we can't make a good Star Wars, we can't make a good uh, Disney game, but they are making good Star Wars games. Jedi Survivor was really, really good, and that's Respawn that made that. Who yes. made Jedi Survivor? Okay, Respawn. So they just got they've got Respawn, and they're doing a fantastic job over there, but they can't make everything, I guess. Um, so I think. I think it's a weird thing to say. Like if I'm reading into it anyway, it's just like we keep fucking dropping the ball with this and we look like morons because we can't make something great with these gold mine IPs. So we're just going to stick with John Madden and uh, make that work. That's like as deep as I go with this. But other than that, it's just like well, you guys are you're idiots. Why, why wouldn't you want to make this or or reading into it in the sense that just like it's not that they don't want to make these, but maybe they're just flat out losing the licenses because they're not. And they're telling everybody, oh, that we're could, not so interested in this. As that could be Battlefront that. 2. <laughs> Battlefront 2 is so far removed from this point in time. They're still doing Star Wars stuff, obviously, but uh, other than uh, Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor. I could not tell you any licensed game they've put out that was a banger. So one thing I, w- I want to note that that untitled Captain America and Black Panther game is from Skydance Media. That's the Amy Hennig game, which I was I w- it did cross my mind thinking like, oh my god, if that Amy Hennig game is under EA <laughs> as they announced this. That would just be like the worst luck ever. Uh, Peter, are you reading into this statement at all? I mean, I I mean, if I'm working on the Black Panther or Iron Man games, I'm like, what the fuck does that like? Should, are we done? Like, are you talking about us or are you talking about future endeavors? So if I'm one thing, if I'm them, I'm kind of developing these games with look constantly looking over my shoulder, wondering if we're going to wake up one day and find out our game was canceled. But. I mean, EA right now has their sports games, which seem to still be selling well, right? Oh, and they're still doing well. Oh, I'm yeah, not talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the sports games are doing well. What They did announce, I don't know if you have this, there was a studio called Ridgeline Games that was working on a single-player Battlefield experience. Their game was canceled. They were shut down. I did so not that's hear an- this. Yeah. 
So that's another one that's happened. Yeah, like Battlefield, which at one point was neck and neck with Call of Duty very early on with Battlefield around the Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4 era, is now just gone. They Battlefield has been I I feel like it's been irrelevant for half a decade, if not if not longer. The last Battlefield that seemed relevant was what was it, Battlefield One? Yes. Yeah, and and that one is still well thought of. That's the last time that Battlefield was a relevant franchise. Uh, they've look. Here's another thing I'm going to say in terms of the future of EA and what they're doing right and wrong. You still can't tell me with the straight face to Dragon Age Four is coming out. You can't tell me. I don't believe you. They said in this report that don't worry, everyone. Bioware is still hard at work with the next adventure in Dragon Age, and that the next Mass Effect is well on its way. I don't believe you. And it's not really EA's fault. It's just I, I Bioware's not putting out a game ever again. No, but Bioware, <laughs> they even have their hiring history uh, hints at this. Bioware is currently giving off massive three four three energy. Yes. Where uh, they're essentially a studio that is is trying to do an impression of them for of their former selves because majority of the people that built the studio are not there anymore, and then they're they're hiring back some of the people that built the studio in like leadership positions. Um, and I don't know i I have kind of reached a point with Bioware where I know it would look way too bad for EA to kind of just dissolve them. Like you, you almost don't even need to, you don't need to get rid of the development team, but you should almost make them change. their not name. Bioware anymore. Um, I know it's a, it's a storied studio, but if they, if they replaced every single position in the studio, like how storied is it? Uh, they, they haven't proven to be able to make a good game and, I mean, since Mass Effect 3, really. Um, I guess some people could argue Dragon Age Inquisition, but that's a pretty controversial game for the most part. Okay, so EA stops doing licensed games and they only focus on in-house games. So they keep doing their sports titles. They try. They have another attempt at Battlefield multiplayer at some point. I assume like a Dead Space 2 remake will happen Apex Legends continues. There'll be another Star Wars Jedi. Is that it? Is that all they need? Is that not nearly enough? I don't know. I I, I guess I guess I can try and pull it up as we're as we're talking here. If there's any like dormant EAIP that might be prime for bringing back, but. I think they'll put out the Black Panther and Iron Man games at this point. I I don't see them canceling those. I unless they do extraordinarily well, maybe they will just be one and done's and then move on and shut those studios down. Uh, I I don't know. I EA just EA hasn't really felt like a player in the industry in years. Albeit they're probably better now than they've been in a while because they're actually starting to focus on single player again and the fact that their last multiplayer attempt which was uh wild hearts did not do well people said it was a fine game i don't think it did bad like you know on metacritic and and critically but it didn't really catch fire and it died as soon as it was born but i just don't know what 
future EA wants. I could see them just doing sports, Apex, and and I, I Battlefield have, and being fine with that. I have a big one to add in there that is also a major moneymaker. Let's get The Sims 5 out there. Didn't they announce Sims 5? They it's the type of thing where like there have been stories about like the discussions that are happening about Sims 5, but there's no like official announcement for it. Like I think they could just become like sports, battlefield, apex, and sims. And, and I, I mean think they'd, they'd make a ton of money. Yeah, I mean and I think they'd be fine. I again they'll still aren't they aren't they publishing Tales of Kenzera? They are, which I don't expect to make them a ton of money, though I hope it's good. Yeah, I don't think it'll... Again, hey, the game's going to be great. I'm going to play it. It's going to be wonderful, but I do not think it will be like... Uh, I. It's not going to be the next Power World and Helldivers. No. Although I wish it was. Uh, the, the one thing I'll say, because I didn't actually give my opinion on the this idea that they'd be moving away from the IP... I think the thing that sounds more likely is what Mark said, where they might just be losing the IP and they're trying to act like it's a calculated thing. That does sound like a possibility. However, I will make one case for them of this potentially being a smart move, which is when you look at development times and you look at the current state of specifically Marvel and Star Wars, how they've kind of just reached an oversaturation point where less and less people are caring you know if you have a star wars game that's gonna come out in five years that's probably doing worse than the star wars game that comes out this year and it's probably doing way worse than the star wars game that came out five years ago so there's there's some logic to it especially since these are massive projects you spend a lot of money on it and you have to fork over a ton of that money to Disney for letting you license it. So there's something here, I think though. I can't deny that obviously like having the IP brings a lot of attention to, to whatever game you made. I wonder if like a few years ago, EA was just like expecting to be bought at this point, And that just hasn't happened. And they're just like, well, I guess, uh, these Disney IP, we got to figure out what to do with these things at this point. No one wants there to do our job for us. Within the last two years of them almost being bought by like NBC or something. What or a Comcast. That would be, that's really strange. But I guess NBC. if anyone was going to buy EA, maybe it wouldn't be developers we would expect. Yeah, I, I have a vague memory of that story, but it 2022 Game Informer report, report EA almost merged with NBC Universal before deal with Comcast dissolved May 20th, 2022 by John Carson. There we go. Very, very crazy. Um, I guess if we're if we're moving on from this story, I guess the only thing I'd want to mention just in in the layoff department, it's not something we have in the docket, but don't not also laid off 8% of their team as well. Supermassive also laid off 10% of theirs this week. Good God. I, again, I know Owen gets, Owen gets cranky whenever we talk about this because he says workers don't deserve rights, but really unionization, like unions need to become a thing. Like this is fucking crazy. It, it's pretty absurd at this point. Like it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's just like, 
I don't know how we can keep moving like this. Do you know how many job postings there are and how many more people are just on the job job market in this industry specifically? Like, it's like, I can't, I, I don't know how these people can rebound and get new jobs when they all live in the most expensive cities in the country. I don't get it. Yeah. I just don't get it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not actually anti-worker for the record. <laughs> this is definitely a clear sign of unionization is needed so that the i do believe that like these workforces technically probably are overinflated because the companies let it get to that point after covid but uh i i think at least in my understanding of unions they could at least help uh protect people to some extent maybe even ensure that the companies don't get to the point of doing that sort of overhiring um because it's obviously gotten out of control and something something needs to give for sure i i didn't even include those those other two companies in the docket because it's like it's almost impossible to list every single studio that is doing layoffs at this point it's it's really getting ridiculous do we have anything else on ea though that's it for me yeah i've said my piece with ea i hope dragon age comes out and mass effect that's my piece all right next up i have the fact that ff7 rebirth has it, it comes out today if you're listening to it tomorrow as of recording on the leap day it's been reviewed as a 93 and open critic pre-launch and i want to read a few excerpts from uh, different reviews just to just to get an idea of it. all of these are coming straight from the the open critic experts so uh ign's michael hyam reviewed it a nine out of ten he said final fantasy 7 rebirth impressively builds off of what remakes set in motion both as a best in class action rpg full of exciting challenges and an awe-inspiring recreation of a world that has meant so much to so many for so long uh, we have Wesley LeBlanc at Game Informer who said uh, it's an 8.5 out of 10. The best of remake exists in Rebirth, but the various open world areas surrounding it, the parts that make Rebirth more unique from its predecessor, sometimes miss the mark. And then one of the lower reviews, I have Tamor Hussein from GameSpot who reviewed it in 8 out of 10. Rebirth keeps its narrative focus on characters while bringing a new dimension to combat, but it stumbles in pivotal moments. So I kind of want to tee off this conversation where as someone who does not plan to play this game, at least anytime soon, definitely not this year because I'm not invested in, I'm not invested in final fantasy. I'm not invested in final fantasy seven original, and I didn't really like Final Fantasy VII Remake from what I played. I didn't hate it, but I didn't really like it either because uh, I never finished it. I heard a lot of conversations with these reviews coming out that were basically like everyone listing every aspect that they hate about the game and then giving it a 10. And I do find that frustrating when, just as a, a listener of gaming podcasts. 
Mark, you're the most interested in it. What's what's your current temperature check on it? You you already let us know earlier that that you're thinking about you're thinking about another partner as mm-hmm. this is about to come out. So how are you feeling? Um, I mean, the reviews are really glowing to me because the one thing I was hoping for was just like, okay, how how robust are the mini games going to be in this game? And it sounds like that's all people are talking about. Like it's one of the big things. It's just like there is just lots and lots of love for those mini games, and they are everywhere. They are they are fleshed out, and that is I heard to some extent something that's turning some of the critics off. Where it's just like okay, there's just a lot of these, and some of these are just not fun to play. Why are we doing this? But it's I, like I'm okay, that's, beat this before embargo. I'm doing the, mini games. I mean, I mean, arguably, there's times where even with Yakuza, where there were times where they maybe do a mini game, and I was just like, "This is, this is not fun. What is, what are we doing here?" Like, I could totally understand some of them feeling like they're derailing from it, even from the original Final Fantasy VII remake. There's parts in that story that are just real padding, where I can totally believe that, even though they're being faithful to the original. Um, to people who aren't savvy to the original, it might just come off as padding, which is important. Important when you're trying to get people on, or trying to onboard people onto this game. Of new, uh, new fans are going to have to go through some of these parts of the game and be like, "What is happening here? This feels like we're totally derailing from the main story." Um, but I'm all here for it. I want them to to just kind of. Just turn what was a small moment from Final Fantasy VII and turn it into just major set pieces. Um, just a lot of love for that game. And then also steer the the new story that they're building here into some interesting angles. I heard from one podcast, specifically that of, of a, a group of people, a pair of people, they played the game, both of them hated the ending and said that everyone they talked to also hated the ending, which makes me very excited to get to the ending of rebirth to see oh man why do people not like this ending um like these these reviews don't steer me in any a different direction uh i guess i guess i'm i'm still curious about like the scene of the moment uh the big thing great i'm not not looking for the buzz i feel like there would have been more buzz if something crazy was going on but you know i don't think they're trying to spoil it for anybody well the the, the new york times did you see what they did what they do they had a story that like came out and push notifications so it was like uh 20 25 years ago final fantasy 7 did such and such to this character uh do they plan on doing it again it was like right in the headline Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. I I at what point is that just like common knowledge going into this game? I feel like the game's trying to tease it. Some of the trailers were even teasing it before. Very like one of the earliest trailers, trailers to Rebirth very much showed it was Aerith. She's in the one area that everyone knows what happens in this area, and then a feather falls behind her in the trailer. It's just like okay, they they know that we know. I I would say. Tangentially, one thing I'm a little disappointed in: um, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth does come with two discs. One of them is just an install disc. There's not going to be a part in the game where it makes me swap discs. Damn, I'm pretty disappointed by that. I was very much excited for uh, them trying to do a disc swap like that. I heard these headlines of 
the that a bunch of like uh, factories messed up and they labeled the discs incorrectly. Where the game that's the, the disc that says the install disc is actually the game, and the one that says the game is the install disc. In Japan, that's that's definitely an issue right now. Ah, okay. That. Um. Just going back quickly to like the moment of Final Fantasy VII, and I want to keep it vague on the podcast, which we all acknowledge as being like basically the most spoiled thing in gaming that it seems like everyone knows about it. But thinking back on it, I only know about it because did you guys ever watch those YouTubers? I can't remember if they were like, they were associated with machinima or not, or maybe even inside gaming daily where they did like top tens for gaming. They're, they're pretty much watch mojo for gaming. Do you have um, Peter? I feel like you should know who these are. I think Adam Kovic did that when he was the Dead Pixel. It it might have been. It might have been. It was. That's how I learned about the spoiler. I don't know how people are who are just checking in, how they're finding out necessarily. So the fact that everyone talks about it as if like, oh come on, where the fuck have you been? It's like I don't know, like. Maybe you were you were a young person. Now you're 14 years old, excited to get into Final Fantasy VII. People are being a little too flippant with it, I think. Uh, Peter, I know you've listened to some reviews. Do you have any opinions? Wish that I wanted to play it. I don't think I'm going to have FOMO the way I did with Helldivers. I wish that we had... I wish Mark and I had grown up on Final Fantasy VII instead of Kingdom Hearts. We possibly could have been a lot cooler people, <laughs> but we decided not to be. So, I mean, I think it's going to be the game of the year. I think if people... Yeah, they're going to be game of the year. I don't really have that many pins on the game. I'm curious to see more people's... Like, I, I, again, whenever I talk about why I don't usually listen to, like, what we've been playing, sections of gaming podcasts, not just ours, but generally, because I don't really care about hearing about most games. I don't. I would seek out a review of FF7 Rebirth, because I am morbidly curious to see more and more people's thoughts on that game, because it is such a pivotal game. That's really all I've got on this topic. I just... I wish, I really wish I had liked Remake more. But like you, I didn't really. I also agree with you on the idea of I I guess I wish I grew up on Final Fantasy 7. Um, it's, it's really kind of a weird phenomenon that um, Remake and now Rebirth are just kind of getting grandfathered into being potentially like some of the greatest games ever because they're based on a really old game that a lot of people happen to have that opinion of. But while I even want to one day go back and play that old game, there's almost no possibility that I could possibly think of it in the way that other people think of it. So I don't really have an ultimate point to that. It's more just a, an observation that there's just so much energy around this installment of the series and I missed the train on it. And I don't, I don't think I'm ever able to get on the train, 
Before we move on, Mark, I am curious. You are someone that you played FF7, I don't know, probably 10 years ago at this point. But how do you feel in comparison to to the energy around FF7 as a whole? I mean, like, I'm not, like, in the, the category of people who are, like, so deeply excited for this game. I'm, I'm excited for it because I like Remake. I'm excited for it because I know this game is going to be substantial to a lot of other people. I'm kind of just uh, having fun being in the room with everybody. Like I, I know enough about Final Fantasy VII and its history to kind of enjoy like the moment of it. Um, but like Rebirth isn't by any means like my most anticipated game of the year by by any means. I think I could list a couple of games that I, I was and have been more excited for for this year. Um, I'm not like ride or die Final Fantasy VII fan. Like, if I were to tell you what my favorite Final Fantasy game is, it's none of the mainline games. My favorite Final Fantasy is Strangers of Paradise. I fucking love that game. <laughs> um, but that's it's that's so very not Final Fantasy VII. It's not Seven Remake. Um, it's I, I guess really the the boiled down answer here is just like I'm. I'm I'm just here to see what happens, and if I really like it, I'll really like it. I I don't think I'm going to be deeply in love with it, but uh, it'll be fun. It's going to be a fun time, and I'm just like the the thing I'm the most excited for is that I'm going to hear another Final Fantasy VII soundtrack tomorrow, and there's going to be bangers, and that's probably what I'm the most excited for. That's that's a reason for excitement. You're excited to be in the room, but let it be clear, it's not the midnight launch room unfortunately unfortunately all right let's move on to a quick hit section we don't need opinions on everything here but some of them will all want to give opinions i have that vgc reported uh from software's miyazaki has said that there's a high possibility that future dark souls games will have other directors so that's notable the only other dark souls game uh, or the only Dark Souls game that has a director that is not Miyazaki is Dark Souls 2, most controversial one. However, I, I think there's there's kind of a turning tide on that game where uh, people have come around to it more. Interesting to note that there could be this, this from software that sort of removes Miyazaki as the the all-knowing auteur to everything, but we'll see if that actually happens. Pokemon Legends ZA is revealed. The teaser trailer focused on the urban development of Lumio City. And Mark, I want to know what you thought about it. I am super excited for this Pokemon Legends Zygarde. It's ZA, I guess. Um, But it's an interesting region to go to. We're going back to Gen 6, the X and Y times. We don't have a lot of information on it, and I think that's fun for now we, we only have a year to wait but we've got time to speculate on what they're possibly going to be cooking we they haven't showed us enough about it and um there's there's a lot to poke at of what they could do what they're going to do um it's a this is probably one of the more exciting things they could have revealed like that was within reason that wasn't just going to be a complete like different pokemon ip that they wanted to maybe bring to the table 
Um, I'm I'm here for it. I'm glad it wasn't Gen Five remakes. It looked like the Gen Four remakes. That was like the one thing I really didn't want from that Pokemon presentation. We didn't get it, so I can't be mad. I cannot be mad. Peter, your thoughts? I'm very happy we're skipping over a uh, Pokemon Legends Gen Five. I'm very happy we're just going straight to six. Uh, in many ways, six is a better game than five. It's also a much more interesting environment. I love the idea that we're going. It's going to be again. I always I like the legends just takes place far, far in the past, and that this will be this. The setting of this game is during the building and development of Lumio City. So it's I'm getting like a Pokemon Industrial Age kind of vibe, which is really exciting to me. And well, Gen Six as like a Gen Six is a fine Pokemon game. I think the world of like the like the Mark, what's is it? Kalos Gen Six. Kalos is correct. Yeah, I think Kalos is an interesting region. I really like a lot of the Pokemon. I really like a lot of the places you go. I just think like Team Flare and the main story is kind of ass. So I I will really like seeing all the Gen Six Pokemon in an old industrial Pokemon environment. Uh, the fact that it's coming out in twenty twenty five. Just, you know, it's a like a hmm. It is just another like a okay, it does maybe it's a Switch 2 launch game, maybe it's just a Switch 1 game, maybe it's cross gen. I don't know, but I I feel bad still talking about Switch 2 so much because we're just now that it's been delayed another three months. And I do now I do now believe it has been delayed another three months. I am on that train now. And maybe we talk about it, maybe we don't, but really liked it. It's Gen 6. Really happy we're skipping over Gen 5. And I loved Legends Arceus, so much so that I never did the post-game of Arceus, and I'm strongly considering starting that because of this news. Wow. That's a big deal. Legends is a fucking great game. Pokemon Legends Arceus is some of the most fun I've had with Pokemon in a very long time. I I never beat Legends, but I did enjoy what I played. Uh, I have aspirations to one day go back to it, but I would never promise that. I do think it's it's very interesting what they're doing here. Reports have even said that you're never leaving the bounds of, of Lumios in That's this game. Exciting to me. I have no idea what that could mean uh, because it, it doesn't seem like you, you'll get a game that is similar to legends Arceus. If that's the case, maybe they're the Pokemon legend series is there's two rules to it. It has to be kind of like before the establishment of a generation and it has to just be some weird idea that would be pretty cool if that those were the guidelines i mean i feel like the core they've only got one so like what the core of these series are is yet to be determined but like the way you kind of interact with the pokemon i feel like is super was so crucial to the first one right you're kind of like stealthing around they can swing at you you're you're not necessarily trying to fight them to catch them but you're throwing just balls as much as you want, just wherever, however. Um, and I think that would be that that was just so fun in the first one that in the second one, if you're not doing that, I'm curious, like, OK, then what is the core of this series here? Um, I, if we're just going to be in Lumios, this development of this gigantic city, how big is the world going to be? Because like Legends was split up into different areas. It makes me wonder, like, is it all going to be one gigantic area, like a la Scarlet and Violet, and we're just going to be in this one city? And if that's the case, uh, 
how interesting is this open world going to be? How diverse is it going to be? I could see this kind of falling flat in like some bad ways of like, is it just going to be not a very interesting city to kind of explore and look through the nooks and crannies of it all? And if it, as a Legends game, it's just like, what Pokemon are you going to find just exclusively in this area for the city? Or is there just so much to the city? There's so little of it that's been built that it is mostly just terrain that's just like in in a radius around uh, the Eiffel Tower of Lumios because it's based on France, of course. Um, I don't know. When I like break down of like what I would expect from this game, just like without like digging too hard into what I think would be super cool, it makes me wonder like this might not be this doesn't sound like the coolest game on paper necessarily, but like I want to trust that they picked this region for a reason. Because uh, I, I think it would have been cool if they did a, a Gen 2 uh, Legends game. If they went to Johto for it, that could have been cool. Hoenn even could have been interesting, honestly. Um, but this... I, 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 liked it. I like it when they try to pick uh, and do stuff with some of the other regions that aren't. Like, like, like they haven't gotten as much love as others. Like when new Pokemon Snap came around spoilers for new pokemon snap the final boss of that game was xerneas one of the legendary pokemon from gen 6 and i thought that was so cool to see that pokemon kind of get the spotlight in this way uh and seeing gen 6 kind of get this treatment as well uh is going to be super super cool i think i will appreciate it just because it it is them poking at gen 6 this way uh and just kind of going back to it but I worry. I worry that, like, especially because it's Pokemon and, like, getting my head in the clouds of what Game Freak's going to do on a Pokemon game, like, has not paid off for a lot of people in recent memory. So, I, I'm, I'm, I want to approach it with, like, awe, a grain of salt and all, but at the same time, I'm going to dream big as time goes on and I come up with more ideas of what could be cool because, like, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was just a, a very cool reveal at the very least. A cool idea that they're going with. I hope they stick the landing. Well, Mark, good luck with having those high expectations. I just want to say I hope Trico is one of the starters this time around since Legend seems to just have a random starters for the three every single time. And Mega Evolution is coming back. I hope some fucking I Mark, is there any Pokemon that did not get a Mega Evolution the first time that you want to get this time around? Uh Charizard could go for a third one. Alright, Owen, do the next topic. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's gonna happen. There's a Charizard X, there's a Charizard Y, this is Pokemon Legend Z, it's Charizard. We're probably gonna get Mega Charizard Z in this game. Like it's it's gonna happen. Just just saying. I don't think there's much to comment on uh with this one but pokemon legends likely a switch 2 game and switch 2 we already knew it was reportedly delayed until 2025 japanese news publication nikkei is saying that it's going to be until march and it's to avoid shortages so i guess there's a reason for it and this is all we get hopefully they still reveal it this year though and it gives the, the dev teams three more months to polish up the launch game so i guess that's fine fine i just metroid prime 4 better be a launch game it better not come mm-hmm. out on switch one and if that i'm okay with taking the zero on the league for metroid prime 4 if you also take end up taking the zero 
for the 3D Mario platformer. So I can live with I can live with this. Is it crazy? Like I've said this before, but I still feel just as strongly about this. One of the things I would be the most excited for for the launch of Switch 2 is Tears of the Kingdom $70, but Master Mode is in there. That like, is still would, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, yeah, and I would crazy. be I would be irate. I would be irate I, if that was a thing. I just really want the Master Mode, and that's the only way I see them doing it at this point. I I want it very badly. <laughs> yeah, crazy take. But uh, moving on, this story takes us into our main topic because Palworld reportedly reaches 25 million players in its first month. Crazy, crazy number. We have we have Helldivers 2 selling 3 million, Palworld reaching 25 million players. The main topic today is something that the, the whole industry is wondering, which is what can we learn? from pal world and hell divers too. I want to try and approach this from a way that obviously people just think these games are fun. And that is a big thing that, that leads to the success. Having that established, what else can we learn? I have a few different ideas myself. I hope you guys brought some with you. Does anyone want to, to tee us off for this one? I will start cheap buy in. Powerworld was $30. Helldivers was $40. $60 seems like it was the limit most people are willing to pay. Seems like a lot of people have looked at $70 and said, no, I won't do it. So that is just one quick thing. Smaller buy-in with... I don't even know if Powerworld has microtransactions, actually. And I've played... Mark, does Powerworld have microtransactions? Now that you mention it, I don't know if it does at all. <laughs> That's I, crazy. I, I know Helldivers 2 does, but it's, it's just cosmetics. That's all. But... And in-game currency. But, yeah, no, Powerworld doesn't have any microtransactions. And it's just $30 and also on Game Pass. That's crazy. I did not know it didn't have microtransactions. Uh, I think you're on to something there. Uh, and I think there's a point that a lot of people who, who want to make the, the sort of inflation point or the fact that games used to cost more, um, and they, they should cost more today. I technically understand the logic, but you are correct that the $70 price tag is met with so much scrutiny. A scrutiny that I don't think was there for the $60 price tag. So definitely a good point with cheap buy-in. The main point that I come in wanting to make here, and this relates to the Sony topic at the top, where, Peter, you made a comment, I believe it was you, that was like, Helldivers 2, yes, it's a great success for them, but it's not what they're looking for. Like, they're looking for Fortnite. I don't think there's any seats at the table anymore for the live service game that can be Fortnite. But I think the the like mid-tier live service could could thrive here as long as you go in knowing that that's that's what you're trying to trying to make because Pal World Helldivers 2 I feel like they're clearly like you'd probably call them double A games like they look pretty good. They're not going to blow your socks off necessarily, but they play well and they have their cheap buy-in 
and they're going to succeed for years to come, it looks like, barring anything unforeseen. So this mid-tier of the live service, yeah, you might not have a machine that prints you billions, but say if it cost total shot in the dark here, say it cost uh, 80 to 100 million to make Helldivers 2, if in its lifetime, if within five years or something, it makes 500 million, 600 million, maybe even more. I mean, that has to be a success, right? It's not Fortnite level. But Peter, I am curious if you have any takes on on the idea of the mid-tier of live service being a viable place. I think there's a difference between is it a success for Arrowhead or is it a success for PlayStation? Obviously, massive gargantuan success for Arrowhead. But as we talked about earlier with PlayStation and all the money issues are starting to run into, it is technically a success. It is a success for PlayStation, but I don't think it's what they want out of their live service. Like, if if so if the if this is the peak of their live service, even if they have other games that come out that do relatively this well, that's not enough for what they're going for. So, okay, they should be happy with Helldivers, but if this is the if this if they peak early with their live service here, and they never get anything if if they ever get past this, then I think PlayStation's overall live service has failed. But to my point of d- does the seat at the table next to Fortnite does that even exist anymore? Is there something that can reach I that mean, level? Te- do we think? Te- Technically, no, but PlayStation has to, if they're going to go into this venture, they have to act like it does. They have to believe that there's a chance, because if they didn't, they wouldn't be doing this. And that that's kind of where I hope they they shift, because I think you could take Helldivers, you could take Gran Turismo, you could take MLB The Show, and maybe one of the other ones, maybe even two of the other ones, hit to a to a point that is near Helldivers, and suddenly you have all those games going, and it's like, oh, we're doing pretty well here. I think there's there's a road for that, but but maybe my perception of the of the financials is off. But Mark, I'm curious about uh what's a takeaway that you think we can learn from Palworld and Helldivers 2? Or if you want to respond to Minor Peters, you can do that as well. Um, I, I do think the price point is really the biggest thing we could take away. Like t- to try to take something away from Pal World. Um, I mean, one of my takeaways from Pal World was is like, hey, Game Freak, do something, <laughs> just do something different, because this was similar enough to Pokemon, even though it's not Pokemon whatsoever. It was similar enough to bring twenty five million people there, so do anything game freak like that's a, that's a, that's such a specific situation like i think pal world isn't something the industry kind of looks at but it looks at it looks at one situation of the most profitable ip of all time that someone tries to like eat a little bit of their lunch and they get 25 million players worth of it uh where that price range helps game pass definitely helps but like i feel like that's its own self-contained narrative like it makes me think of in trying to dissect what makes pal world work it makes me think of a story i had heard from 
Brian David Gilbert used to work at Polygon, was a big was a part of like the video team over at Polygon. And he had a series, I forget what it was called, but it was very viral. It would get like millions of views, everything. Like he was just really he put that get put together the series that just went viral online and got super, super popular. And he talked about it behind the scenes of just like what was like his higher ups, the executives expecting from him and it was just like okay just make them just make more viral videos that's what we want from you and he's just like that's just not how viral videos work they just kind of happen right you can't control it you can put stuff out there that's kind of like susceptible to kind of snowballing like that but ultimately it is in the hands of the people you cannot predict and calculate something to take off in a viral way whatsoever you can just kind of like set the groundwork and hope that people take it from there and it happened a lot for him it wasn't just he, he talks about how very lucky he was that his big polygon series kind of took off the way that they did. And it, I, I think about that specifically when I look at Pal World, where it's just like there, there are some small games like this that kind of just take off. Uh, I think pointing to Lethal Company is another one in this kind of boat where it's like a lot of people could put out a game that plays like Power World or plays like Lethal Company, but just these things being in the right place at the right time, getting enough eyes on it when there isn't something else to play uh, helps out a lot. The price point, I think, is the biggest thing because it makes, when these things are getting attention, that's the easiest thing to get people on. And it's not going to be super expensive, of course. Um, but Power World is a bit of its own situation because of... Game Freak and the Pokemon narrative that's been happening uh, for the past couple of years. But Helldivers is the one we can, I think, comfortably look at and be like, how can we be like this? How can we get 3 million people in a popular game versus 25 million? Um, and it, I, th- I th- just to say it again, a $40 game in a $70 market is crazy. Uh, a crazy deal, that is. Like if Sea of or Sea of Thieves, if Skull and Bones with all its microtransactions launched at a forty dollar price point, would people be nicer to it? Would people be more willing to approach it? I would say yes. Probably not a lot because it's still not a very good game, supposedly. And and Helldivers is, uh, but I think it would make it a little bit more approachable right now, knowing that there's just a market for games that it's just like, Hey, we're not, we're not expecting the world from, especially if there's going to be microtransactions. If you're a triple a game, I, I guess in skull and bones case, it's a quadruple a game, of course. So maybe it doesn't apply here because it's such <laughs> a big game, but um, maybe if you are going to have that many microtransactions in your game, maybe you don't put it at $70. I would, I would argue that it's always should have been just like, Hey, free to play. And it's, the microtransactions on top of that. That's where we can safely expect it. But I mean, maybe I, maybe we shouldn't be looking at a place of maybe, maybe we can meet them halfway at that $40 price point and then put some microtransaction. Maybe that's not the answer, but it depends on the game though. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I do want to piggyback off of uh, your skull and bones point where it's like, I think if it was $40, it would, absolutely be treated a little bit better there there's like a massive correlation in gaming between price and what people think about a game and i know like the 
perfect candidate that is going to have like at least a little bit of a turnaround as the price evens out here is everyone hates suicide squad at $70. And then suddenly you'll start hearing about the person that, that found suicide squad for $8. And they're like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. This game's great. I only got it for eight bucks. It's like, yeah, like you think it's great because you got it for $8. But if you paid 70, you might not. So there's like a really clear correlation to the general reception and what the price is. And I, I think that while most of the businesses and games just kind of look at it as sell it for the highest price you possibly can, there's something to using that price manipulation to your advantage. Uh, like I even wonder if you look at some of these fighting games that come out, like Tekken is, is doing very well so far, but even something like street fighter, I wouldn't say that it's not a, a full price game worthy of being paid for that way. But I don't know if it was $40. I feel like, we've even had the conversations on here of, Oh, what if we all all got into street fighter and it mostly comes down to, we're not all willing to pay full price for the game. If, if that barrier to entry was lowered, suddenly no sales turns into potentially three. And if we could get more friends on it, four or five, like there's some logic to this. Another aspect that I think is underrepresented is that Pal World and Helldivers are co-op PvE experiences. I would say for the second half of the 2010s and the early 2020s, Battle Royale was the thing. Battle Royale is no longer as popular as it once was, and new Battle Royales flop immediately. There's no demand for them. Like, Like Owen said, there's no longer any seats open next to Fortnite. It's Fortnite, Apex, Warzone. There you go. That's it. Uh, there's... That entire that entire genre is now taken. And there's a lot of people, more and more people, who are no longer interested or never were interested in that genre. And now you're starting to have experiences about playing together instead of playing against each other be a lot more appealing to people. And I think more people need to start looking into a co-op experience because PvP is done. You cannot do it better than it's being done right now in terms of battle royale or generic or like multiplayer that we used to know. I think that's a good point. Um, I wrote, I wrote down in my thoughts on this, that the fact that these are both co-op is a takeaway. I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a huge thing to learn besides the fact that what you're pointing out there is that PVE is definitely in the zeitgeist right now. I think another big part of it, at least for me, maybe most people look at these as purely co-op games, but I think they need to be at least reasonably satisfying. If, if you're going to be a player alone, like you have to be able to either interact with strangers in a way that is not hopping on a microphone, which you can do in Helldivers too, or in Pal World. I mean, I, I feel like you can have a pretty satisfying solo experience if you're into that type of game. Uh, here's one thing that I don't think is really anything to learn from, but it is the case for both of these games. You could decide to base your new game loosely on an existing IP. Uh, 
So Pal World obviously took advantage of Pokemon in that way. And Helldivers 2 took advantage of Starship Troopers. So Pokemon Starship Starship Troopers, not exactly comparable in any way. Pokemon's obviously way larger. But both games did kind of take the approach of of basing it on something that people were already familiar with to some extent without being directly associated. Also, with Hell World and Helldivers 2, Mark, Mark talked about this earlier, but I just want to reiterate it. Ha- those two games had no expectations going into it. I feel like that's another key to success, which you can't actually, like, you have to be a pleasant, you have to be a surprise nowadays. If you try to talk yourselves up going into the, your development of we're the next big whatever the fuck, we're the next big game, we're the next big it thing, you will not be it. You have to come into this modestly. You can't try to be like, we are going to shake the earth underneath your feet. You have to come into this and be like, play our game or don't. That's fine. Do whatever makes you happy. Like, that's also like a, a business model that so many developers can't afford to approach a game. It's just like, you can't just, you can't just release something and be like, yeah, you can buy this or not. Uh, there's this. Wait, they most, did. They did. They, they just did that though. They did. They did. And held. I I can only imagine what Arrowhead's mentality was going into the release of Helldivers 2 thinking like, man, we, we're probably going to have to lay off a bunch of people after this launches. It doesn't seem like we're going to have a big launch. Palworld also just, who knows what they were thinking of how, how well they were going to do. Obviously at this point, they're just like, well, we can, we can just disappear. We don't have to make this game anymore. We've made so much money off of this. We could just like leave the office and never come back. Um, but I was even talking with a coworker about this earlier today, about these smaller games that kind of do a lot of heavy lifting throughout the year. Uh, and, are some of the people some people's favorite games of the years these tiny games this is what people are looking for arguably is these tiny games um i i don't know if that's what we're looking for specifically these games are a little bit more creative and diverse than what the AAA is kind of like putting out there but um a lot of it is just kind of word of mouth what is the cool thing going on right now some of the games are of higher quality than others, you know, a Helldivers versus, to point back at Lethal Company, Among Us at the time, that was one of these games, of course. I feel like, I, I don't know if it's safe to say that Among Us is like, of this kind of trend, like if we point, like point at that, that that was like, for for multiplayer at the very least, like that was a game that like popped off just like these, yeah. these games here. But I, I think you I, could say that. I... I don't really know how much traction Lethal Company still gets. Like, how popular is this? Or is it just like, has it been left in the dust? Is it never going to get the attraction or the the scene that you think it was going to have? Because I, I don't think this game was as popular as any of the games we've talked about. But uh, Phasmophobia kind of had a moment also. There's just kind of games where people are just like oh man i would games kind of go through a pattern of just like these multiplayer games everyone's kind of hopping on what are people doing like what is the trendy game right now some of them are just a trendy thing they come and they go people want to play a new thing others are here to stay i hope the hell divers is here to stay in a sense i hope they make pal world into a much better game if it's going to be here to stay they've got the money to do whatever they want to that game at this point um 
But if there's something to kind of look at there, the trendiness is just of. Mm, I, I I was going to say there's nothing else kind of happening, but like Helldivers 2 and Power kind of came up very close to each other. So I don't know. I mean, at the same time, there's only so much to do in Power World. So I've, I think a month makes sense for that game to kind of just people to fall off. Like you, you've, I feel like people have gotten their fill of Power World at that point in time. And it just so happens something like Helldivers comes out pretty quickly after. Um, and I don't know if something like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is, an, is a kind of game to stop that game's traction because it's such a very different game. It's a very different audience. They kind of exist in different lanes almost, even though they're both going to sell crazy amount of copies. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely in different lanes. Um. I think my my sort of final point here is this is obviously not the case across the board, but I I kind of started off the podcast when I was talking about Xenoblade, where I feel a lower tolerance for for stuff like cutscenes, and it's not that the the lack of cutscenes in these games is a good thing. It's kind of another thing I noticed when when I've been playing more PS2 lately where there's very, there's very little things in my way. If I, if I want to turn on a Tony Hawk game on PS2, I turn it on and I immediately get into a level and I just start playing it. And there's no real, there's no real continuity to worry about at all. I can just be in the level and start playing it right away. Whereas a lot of modern games I think have, have a lot of barriers and some of them are worth it obviously but if you only have 30 minutes to play god of war ragnarok you might spend 20 of those minutes watching a cutscene and and hardly even playing the game or if you only have 30 minutes to uh to play Baldur's gate 3 for instance um you're not going to get anything accomplished in the game like you need to have a much larger segment of time committed to things in order to ensure that you're even going to be able to find the fun in the game. And I can't speak for Pal World, but I feel like in Helldivers, if you do a, a quick match looking in an area to see what squads need help, you can be in there right away fighting fighting robots or, or bugs. And that's an advantage to it. That's really the end of my takeaways, though. Uh, do you guys have any other standouts you want to touch on here? Mark, how about you? Um, I'm just curious yeah. to see I how long these games last for. That's really it. And Peter, you got nothing? I would say, pal, here's the thing. Pal World, I feel like, could come back at any time if they're like hey we've been quietly fixed out the game here's just a next expansion a next island and also we fixed all the glitches and technical problems power can come back at any time hell divers i think it's peaked in its popularity but i think it's going to have a consistent fan base for the rest of the year especially whenever the first big content pack comes out i think a lot of people will come back and when they do come back the servers will be a lot better built to house more and more players so I still think both games have bright futures ahead of them. And I would say those are my closing statements. 
All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us for BNY episode 125. One quick uh, programming note at the end here that I did not go over with you guys. Uh, If there's potentially a scheduling issue next week to any (gasps) listeners who care, it could be a different day. Maybe we uh, miss a week. I don't know. I haven't gone over it with these two yet. So we'll figure it out. Hopefully there will end up being an episode, but it might not be on Thursday like usual. That is all. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Only one month till Fallout New Vegas. Goodbye.